I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am so excited to bring you my guest today, Dr. Becky Bailey, the founder of Conscious Discipline and author of Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, among other books. This is the one that has saved my life this past year in quarantine, and I couldn't be more excited to chat with the author today. Dr. Bailey, welcome to Look Ma No Hands. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. I have heard about you from several of my guests, actually. Many of you listening are probably familiar with parenting coach Randy Rubenstein, who's been on my show about three or four times. She studied the Conscious Discipline curriculum, which Dr. Becky Bailey created. Conscious Discipline is a transformational social-emotional learning and classroom management tool, which is trauma-informed, evidence-based, and fantastic. I've actually met many Houston parents and teachers who've heard of Dr. Bailey's work as it's transformed their lives as teachers and the lives of their students. And when I heard about you, I had to read your book. The title, Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, grabbed me immediately because I am one of many parents of a strong-willed, wonderful child that is just that. And um, immediately when I opened your book, I couldn't put it down. What I love the most about this book is that while so many parenting books go right into parenting style, how to deal with specific situations, tools that can be really useful if you're in a bind. This starts with mom and dad. This starts with you. It starts with the message that you cannot teach what you do not know yourself, which for me, the bottom line and the main issue and every issue I have as a parent starts with that. I cannot teach my child to self-regulate if I don't know how to regulate myself. This is a parenting book, but it's really, for me, it's been a book about reparenting myself. I've probably learned more from this one book than I have from any other book on parenting that I've read, and I've read a lot of them. So I want to start at the very beginning, Dr. Bailey. Let's start with the title. We think easy to love, difficult to discipline. Most of us were children of the 80s and 90s and beforehand, and we hear the word discipline, and we think of what you describe in your book as role-based relationships. So dominance by a parent in the form of timeouts and punishment, sometimes even the corporal kind. Many children, many people who are my age um, were spanked by their parents. Spanking still happens. So let's start here. What is discipline really? And why is understanding the true meaning of discipline and implementing it in our own lives and the lives of our children so important? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, the praise. (laughs) I appreciate that. Of course. And um, one of the things that uh, most of us confuse discipline with punishment. And And they have very different meanings. And actually, when I was using the word discipline, or when I was writing the book, or when I said the word conscious discipline, um, many editors said, oh, don't do that. And I'm like, oh, yes, I'm going to do that, because it's important that we understand this difference. So punishment is in the intent to hurt someone. That's what it means, mm-hmm. the intent to hurt. Uh, discipline is more of a military term, in my mind. And also, it could be a spiritual term. It comes from the word disciple. 
you know, so Ooh, I, lo- I, I love that. I learned from the models before me is one aspect of discipline. But the other one is when you think I'm disciplined enough to lose weight, I'm disciplined enough to achieve a goal. So it, it gives you the, uh, the power, the motivation, the responsibility to head towards your goals. So in this respect, so if you think of just conscious discipline, what that means is I'm disciplined enough to set and achieve a goal and conscious of enough to know when I'm off track. For example, you know, it's like I'm, I'm right now working probably like everybody else in the world trying to lose weight. And so, you know, quarantine 15. Yes. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm all over it and, <laughs> and I'll do well. And then, you know, until I get into a certain funk or, or, or donuts show up at the house. Yeah. And so I'm disciplined enough that the next thing you know, I'm eating a donut. And so, yeah. you know, I have to be conscious. That's not where I was heading as opposed to getting conscious and beating myself up. Like, I can't believe I'm eating this donut, you know, but that's punishment. So as mm. I beat myself up, I want another donut to medicate myself just from the sensation of punishing myself. So discipline uh, when you punish someone, you create sensations in the body that we want to run away from, not lean into and learn from. So, so discipline is discipline enough to set and achieve goals and conscious enough to, to know when we're off track and then willing enough to come back to that track, which means, do I feel loved enough at this moment? Because that love or that connection between us is the motivation to get back on track. So that's what happens when your kids don't do homework or something and you punish them. Okay. So that punishment, instead of disciplining them, you punish them. So now you they feel bad and they're failing <laughs> at their homework. And, and then we want them to improve their behavior, but we've thrown them into the lower centers of their brain where they're running from you and from the, uh, from the curiosity of why am I not being successful? Discipline means how do I structure it up so that you can be successful? So we're going to set this time each day. We're going to set up this process for you. And every five minutes, you're going to take a break and I'm going to structure it up. And you get in there and you get to it, kid. And I'm just going to cheer you the whole way. And then that child feels great about themselves and ultimately will hopefully be able to do that on their own as they get older. But the other type of the punishment, which you described, it sounds like it creates shame in a child and that shame creates more of the behavior that we are hoping to avoid. It's the same with adults. It, it reminds me of, you know, when you hear people talking about trying to lose weight, when you punish yourself, you do want to eat more. You want to do more of that behavior because it's the only thing that can soothe you in that moment mm-hmm. from the shame that you feel. Exactly. And I equate shame uh, with stagnation and anything, yes. anything that stagnates dies. You know, I'm living in Florida and you take a little puddle of water that's not moving and it doesn't take long for that to be a cesspool uh, because the water doesn't move. And so shame and stagnation. Uh, are, are It keeps you stuck. Yeah, it keeps you stuck. I had a conversation with um, Joshua Wayne. He wrote a book on parenting. Uh, he wrote a book about um, the simple guide to parenting around technology. Um, I interviewed him about this book. It was a 40 page book about just very basic rules to implement with your child around technology. Um, I loved it. He talked about how in the homework debates that occur, um, you see the child who is getting punished by their parents constantly for not doing their homework and their grades get worse and worse. 
and then they go off to college and they flourish. And it's like, what happened? Why, why couldn't you have done this in high school? Well, they're not around this constant repetition of how terribly they're doing and, and this constant punishment. That was certainly my experience. I was a very intelligent, smart girl. I, my grades started floundering kind of in middle school. They weren't as good as they could have been in high school. Second I got out of my house, I got to college, I was magna cum laude. It was always there. Yeah. But hearing that, it, it's completely counterproductive. A lot of parents, I think, just feel helpless. They don't know what discipline is. What you just described about creating this environment for a child to thrive, I don't think that's instinctive for many of us. I know I've had to learn about that because that wasn't what I grew up with. Yeah, I don't... So, mo- yeah, most people did it. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the biggest way that you can tell yourself, am I in this moment, uh, my intent, is it to punish or is it to discipline? You can, the way you can tell is discipline, your intent is how do I help this child be successful? That's Mm. what you're asking yourself. And so your whole intention change so that, you know, and then your whole face change, your whole body changes, you approach the situation with punishment. The intent is how do I make this child do something they don't want to do? And that leads you into coercion, manipulation, force and of course that what you do to the child they will do to others so then you wonder why they're coercing their brothers and sisters and using force or while they're manipulating you to stay up to the wee hours they do the what night. they do what they see us doing yeah <laughs> yeah I, I see that all the time I see that all the time what struck me the most about your book as I mentioned in the beginning is what I've come to find is a totally rock solid parenting truth I've done over 60 interviews on this podcast it always comes down to this. You cannot teach a child what you do not understand yourself. You can't give what you don't have, especially, I think, when it comes to loving ourselves. The more we love ourselves, the more we can teach our children to do the same. You tell a story about a mother who takes her child to visit Mahatma Gandhi, begging him for help because her child won't eat anything but sugar. He says nothing, and the mother and the, the, he sends the mother and the child away, and eventually they return with the same problem. Stop eating sugar, Gandhi finally says to the boy, after which the mother asks, why didn't you say that last time? Gandhi explains that he was still eating sugar himself, so he couldn't ask a child to do something that he himself was not yet capable of. So explain this to us. Why is it so important that we possess the traits and understandings that we hope to impress upon our children? Uh, because we model them for them. And, and there's a difference between modeling something and lecturing them about it. <laughs> Exactly. So, and the big difference to help us understand, uh, you know, like conscious discipline or or this book is all based on neuroscience. So if you model it for us, we learn by seeing others. And the interesting thing is the brain learns by mostly seeing the interaction between two people. So as, as I'm looking at my mom and dad, let's say, I would see the interaction between the two before I would see my mom herself or my dad himself. So we're always looking at the interaction because connection is essential for life. So the brain is looking at how do you interact with people? How do you interact in these situations? And so what happens then as we're doing that, that goes into the unconscious part of our brain, which rules most of our life, like 90 some percent of our life is run unconsciously. And then there's a bit with the conscious lecturing is done consciously. Modeling is done unconsciously and unconscious drives what we do. So it's huge that we first learn how to interact with each other in a uh, respectful, loving, kind, 
way. And you can see now globally, or, or at least in the United States, the, the hatefulness that's going on that we see every day on TV, everywhere we're going, it's this us and them mentality. And yes. uh, you can just see what that's doing to our youngest children, even our infants, and mostly our infants, which people don't understand. Because the younger you are, the more unconscious you absorb. So the young- Wow, that's very interesting. Yes. So the first three years of life, uh, all that's happening right now, all these babies that are zero to three right now, they're absorbing all this interaction between this us and them, this divide we're born into. And it's going to be interesting as they grow up, uh, the healing they're going to have to go through to remedy some of that. I guess the hope is that the healing will make it even better than I, it was before because we got to this place, right? So I yes. always kind of think, I, I hope that we will overcome it in such a way that it will be better than it was before this these divides started happening. But I mean, my I've mostly hidden, quite frankly, this entire presidency from my four-year-old child. And uh, we got home um, from Colorado. We, got, we, we were in Colorado. We got home from dinner and it was the debates were on. So it was the only debate that we'll probably see during this election cycle. And I, I don't, I, I don't think my kid has ever even seen the news, honestly, on TV. Yeah. Um, but we had no choice. She was awake. We wanted to see them. Um, and neither one of us was willing to miss it to tuck her in right away. So it was on in the background and she was playing with toys and she just looked at me and she goes, why are they interrupting each other so much? Yes. Why won't they listen to each other? And I was, and my, my husband makes this really funny comment, like, you know, not all, not all kids grow up to be grownups. Like this is what happens. Um, it, and it is, I mean, it's true. Like this, this was, it was, it mimicked watching my child at a play date, just that there was absolutely no, there was, there was no maturity happening. And, and you talk about this in your book that, you know, we ask mature, we ask for maturity from our children, but like, it's actually very rare. When I read your book, it's written by a mature adult. And I realize so much of, you know, the way that I interact in conflict, we'll talk about passive and aggressive conflict resolution styles in a minute. Um, but so much of the way that I interact in conflicts isn't necessarily mature. I wasn't taught how to, to navigate conflict and I do these things that I wouldn't want my child doing. And so I'm learning how to navigate conflicts in a more mature way. And that's how I can pass it on to her. So it's just such a journey of growth reading this book. Um, and I totally resonated with the story that you tell about driving five or so miles out of the way on the highway because you're craving a candy bar. I've totally been there around McDonald's French fries. And you explain that you arrive at a convenience store to find a mother scolding her child because he wants candy and he wants it now. We've totally been there. Um, and she just can't get through to him that he can't have everything he wants right when he wants it. So this is the moment that you realize that you actually identify with the child. You wanted your candy bar right then and there. And um, I think so many adults can relate to this realization, but I found myself wondering, where where do we start? So where do we begin when we realize that we need to reparent ourselves first before we can truly pass on such discipline to our child? Well, you know, I, I'm going to kind of combine these two with what you were just talking about. Let's go back to the debate. Um, as I First of all, it was beautiful how your four-year-old saw the interaction between the two. <laughs> you know, they're interrupting each other. Um, what are they doing, Mommy? Yeah. That, but the, the thing about when I watched that debate, there was such interrupting, such noise. It was mostly mm-hmm. noise and such yammer and chatter that I, I related that event to the chatter in my head. 
because I have mm. so much chatter in my head, you know, in, in some of it is wise chatter and some of it's horrible chatter, you know, that inner voice. And so this goes to what you just asked. So how do we learn to, uh, what you're saying is delay gratification. How do we learn to tolerate the sensations in our body with, without having them have to go away? In other words, what we're asking is, and what you're asking me is, how do we help children tolerate these sensations in their body, which we call feelings? Yes. As yes. opposed to medicate them. And so that process comes from first, of, and, and, and interesting enough, that ability to uh, handle these emotions. If you don't handle the emotion, it becomes chatter in your head because it, it, it triggers a story and chatter. So, Oh, that's so true. Okay. Yeah, you start overthinking it instead yes, of processing it. And then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have thought that. I can't believe I'm doing this. And what are we doing? <laughs> this? I don't know this. And did I take the chicken out? And then we've got this. And oh, the lawning. You know, I mean, it just goes yeah. on and on and on. So all that chatter, which most of it is critical and unhelpful, and bring and pulls you away from the present moment. And when you're away from the present moment, means in, in essence, you've abandoned your own child because they live in the presence. We're up in our head, so you can see the abandonment. Uh, process going on. But what it's saying to ourselves is we've abandoned ourselves. So what do we do when children get angry? You know, there's many ways we approach that. Don't you start now? Um, yeah. Uh, 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 if you keep that up, you're not going, we're not going to McDonald's. Uh, uh, <laughs> just, just, just pull yourself together. It was not that big of a deal. Uh, you know, and when, when I was your age, I'd have got smacked for saying that or whatever we, uh, we do. But what we have to do is we have to be gentle with them. And instead of, 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 of pushing that feeling away, we can describe it for our children. We can go, oh, look, your hands are going like this and your face is going like this. And we model it for the child so they'll look at our face. As soon as they look at our face, we turn it into a smile and say, you seem angry. You know, you wanted, you wanted a cookie and you wanted it right now. That's, yeah. that's hard to wait. That is so hard. Let's think of two things we can do. Let's think of two things we can do and I'll count. You do two things and I'll count to 10. One, you know, and so they go do two. And, uh, whoa, you waited 10 seconds. Yeah. And look at what happened. Your body got calm. You relaxed your body. So again, it's dealing with the emotions. If they get sad, we don't go, oh, honey, let mommy, uh, mommy will fix it. We have to say, uh, you seem sad. You were hoping you could play longer. It's hard. It is hard mm. to wait. And let's think of something we can do while we wait. What are some of the ideas of things we can do while we wait? Uh, we can... Uh, uh, I would ask them, what could we do? Or I would then offer them two choices. We could uh, make silly faces or we could draw. What would you like to do? You want to go make silly faces or draw? Oh, I can see your face right now. It looks like it's going to become silly. <laughs> So if you're not in a place where you can necessarily, I mean, so yesterday I'm in the parking garage, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like maybe at 
three minute walk from the smoothie that my child needs to have right this second. And she starts fussing in the garage about how she can't wait to have the smoothie. So it's not like I'm going to sit there and start coloring on the floor of the garage, but there are other, right, right. So tell me, walk me through that one. Okay. So first tell me what you did say. What did I say? Yeah. Um, I, I think, oh man, I'm tired. What did I say? Um, I told her that I told her how she was feeling. I, d- I told her how she was feeling. I, d- I explained to her how much longer it was going to be. I walked her through it. That tends to help her. So like, we're going to get in the elevator. And then when the elevator, we're going to press the button. When the elevator gets up, okay. um, we're going to go and okay. walk to the smoothie so, shop. So what, what I encourage you to do then is go back to the sensation. I want it now. So there's this urgency inside our body going now, just like me with the thing. I need this thing now because I've got something going on in my mind or body I can't deal with and I want it now, or I'm getting sleepy and I need that sugar now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so there's an urgency in her body. It's not in her head. It's in every cell in her body. So I would spin, first of all, I would describe uh, your and and here's the word I want everyone to listen. Your body or your face, your hands, your body's going like this. And what that does is, and I said like this. I didn't say your hands are balled in a fist. I said your body's going like this. Your hands are going like this. And when I say like this, there's a, a kind of an urgency for you to look at me. Is there not? Yes. Okay. It's like if I said right now, Laura, your face is going like this. If you were turned away, would you turn and look at me? Absolutely. Okay. Now, when you look at me in the face, I'm going to do this. I'm going to smile at you and take a deep breath like this and smile. I'm using my body to regulate your body and I'm relaxing that urgency within you. Hmm. And once you relax the urgency within the child, then you can go, oh, boy, it's hard to wait. Let's see all the things we have to do. Well, we got to go to the elevator. And then you add that. But see, you didn't calm her down. You went from urgency to direction. Right. I went from urgency to direction, which did not work. No, because that (laughs) that was, she's still urgent. It didn't work. I've also... You know, you talk a lot about two positive choices on your Instagram, yes. which I love following. Yeah. Um, so that totally changed the idea of choices, what I thought choices were. I mean, yes. I think mo- a lot of parents, we hear choices. It's like you can either stay here at this play date and have a nice time or you can go home. Yeah. But the two positive choices are like, well, we could skip to the elevator or we could hop to the elevator. I mean, like there's yes. two exciting, fun things that you can do to get there. Whereas I'll be completely honest with you. Yesterday we were headed to a play date um, with a friend. And we were getting the smoothie before we had that play date. And I could tell my daughter was really tired. Um, And I told her that I could tell. And I gave her a negative choice, which was to come home because she was tired and to go be on her play date, which was the positive choice. And she stopped fussing and she wanted to be on the play date. But what you're saying is like, it's so important that she understands how she feels and is able to regulate that without just shutting it down and getting into her head. Right. And or not even stopping in the first place, which also happens when I do that. And that's a place I go where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you have to stop. And we all do that. We all do that because you're tired. And when when you're tired (laughs) and exhausted, your brain downshifts to the lower centers 
And then, yes. and then sadly we downshift our children with us or, yes. or we're doing, we're hanging on by a thread and they yeah. start going, I want a smoothie. And you know, by right. then like, now, oh, now, my God, I can't. Yeah. Now, now we're both in the lower centers of our brain as if we're both punishing ourselves. And so now we're, we're, we're in this place of stagnation. There's no way to change or move forward. So, uh, so, and, and doing those two positive choices are the greatest thing. Uh, but again, you can't think of those when you're in the lower centers as an adult. This is why I say we have to discipline ourselves first. I have to go, okay, I'm about ready to just drive this car off the side <laughs> of the road, yep. you know, and we have to recognize that within ourselves. Okay. Now what can I do? Okay. Okay. Becky, just take a couple breaths, just take a couple deep breaths. And, and, and just stay calm enough. We're going to get there. I can, right. handle, I can handle this. And, and, the, and the phrase I want to put in my inner speech is, uh, I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. I'm safe. Keep Because your mind is going, oh, gosh, we're not going to get there. And then the time we get here, she's already tired. And the time she's already tired, the time I get to that smoothie, we're never going to make it to this party. And then if we don't make it to this party, she's going to whine the rest of the day. And my whole day is shot. You know? Yep. You know, you got it. So what we have to do is we have to change to discipline ourselves. We have to change our inner speech because our inner speech came from how we were disciplined from our parents. Oh, absolutely. Every time I go to that lower center, I'm repeating stuff that was to me. So we just every time. Yep. And so the biggest thing we can do, uh, and if I could have done this uh, driving over, you know, I'm going to get that candy no matter what. If I'd have said, okay, Becky, come on. Take a couple breaths. You got this. You're safe. You can handle this. You can handle this. I could have, you know, moved on down the road as opposed to driving way off to find this certain candy bar. Um, Right. But I didn't do that for myself. And of course, if I didn't do it for myself, again, the point you're making is if we don't do it for ourselves, we can't do it for children. And, And that's the toughest thing. Now, what I have learned after practicing this for, I don't think, uh, I think discipline is a practice, you know, it's just like anything else, like being an Olympic, it's a practice, you know, and some days you get a 10 and some days you get a 7.9 and some days you fall off the bar, even in the Olympics. So, Amen. Um, so it's, it's a practice. And the, what I have learned from myself, the more I practice with me, discipline, quote myself and just taking a few deep breaths, I'm safe, keep breathing, I can handle this, and then learning my assertive voice, learning my two choices and all that, I can access those skills, and I can move through the day a little more graciously and sleep a little bit at night because I don't have to be, I'm not beating myself up with all the stupid things I did all day. Um, um, so yeah, I think the way that I think, you know, one of my questions for you that's later on down the line here, but I'll go ahead and ask it now is, you know, I've had this experience so many times. My oldest child's four, my youngest is one and a half. So it's not like they're really old, but I've picked up a parenting book like yours and I've thought, oh my God, it's too late. I've already done so much wrong. What? what that's sort of that same voice, that, yes. that that same voice of shame, right? Like, yes. and it makes it even worse. It yes. makes it even worse. There's always room. If I give myself room to start over and to be better, I am showing my child that adults grow and learn and change and that growth never stops and that mommy can do things better and that daddy can do things better and that everybody, that it's never too late. Because clearly I picked that up from somewhere. Yes. And I think a lot of us pick up this, this need to be perfect. 
And, yes. And perfectionism is a defense against being human. And, oh, and so perfectionism is a defense against being human. So yeah, you're so, right. So when we, uh, when, 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 when a lot of us have grown up with this perfectionism and, and, and of course that comes from being uh, punished so much and the shame of that, then we try to defend against the shame by being perfect. Um, what happens is uh, allowing ourselves to make mistakes and we call them uh, oops, oops, right. Oops. Just like a child when they throw, you know, start to walk, oops, get back up. Oops. Uh, oopsies. We, if, if we would give ourselves some oopsies in our own head, um, uh, we show them that we're not after perfection. We're af- we're after a, a human, a human that falls and gets back up and a human that gets off track, comes back on track. But the, the, the trick is you can't come back on track unless you allow yourself to be human because if you're perfect, when you get off track, you become more and more off track. So there are lessons we can teach our children in yes. understanding these things about ourselves. Yes. We're modeling Absolutely. all the time. We're modeling all the time. I was, speaking of modeling, I was especially struck by the chapters in which you address direct versus passive aggressive communication. And I wasn't expecting to be so struck by them, but I realized I was regularly nervous to take my child on play dates because of the conflict that would unquestionably arise. I didn't know how to handle that conflict because nobody ever taught me those lessons. And instead, I was inclined to teach my daughter what I learned when my own parents told me to just figure it out. I became passive in many conflicts and realized I would pass this on to my daughters if I didn't learn new behaviors. And you explain in your book that when our children have conflicts with their friends, it's often a missed opportunity for parents to teach conflict resolution. Give us some examples of direct communication and how we can guide our children when they come to us about their conflicts. Okay, so this this one is great because with my grandchildren now, uh, you know, which is great, I get to go to all these birthday parties. Not so much now yep. with COVID, but you know, oh, you must be like the queen of the birthday party oh, conflict I, resolution. I, I am. Can't imagine. I would hire you to come to a birthday yeah, party, I, I, <laughs> and, and that's all I do is I go around to these little yeah. where they clump up and they're gonna, you know, one's yeah. gonna grab something and this is that, and and the parents are over there just drinking wine, hoping it'll all go away. Oh and, my god! And um, so what you want to do is, first of all, uh, in the situation when it's right there in front of you. You go to, uh, uh, you, I'm going to give you some magic words. You want it. <laughs> That's it. You wanted the ball. When you want the ball, say ball. You wanted okay. the, the Kleenex. When you want the Kleenex, say turn, please. Now, in, in the case of your one-and-a-half-year-old, you're going to teach your one-and-a-half-year-old just to put their hand out with their palm up. Yes. Okay. okay. So your yeah. one-and-a-half-year-old is going to start learning with one hand is their stop hand. So yes. when, when the sister comes up and, you know, just knocks you on the, on the floor just for funsies, the one year, one and a half year old should put up their stop hand. So that means stop. And then if the sister grabs, uh, you know, because the one and a half will let it go, you know, grabs it. That's whatever the child has. You teach the, your one and a half to put the hand out put your hand out and she's going to put your stop hand go stop. I don't like it. And then they hold their hand out and she's saying my turn, give it back. So what we're doing instead of saying, be nice, stop pushing. Don't, it's not nice to grab. You guys just figure it out. I can't, I can't deal with this. Um, you're, go, you're going to teach both of them, both the victim 
perceived victim and perceived aggressor because there's just two children without a skill. Well, okay. I love this one story that you told about passive aggressive communication that somebody had upset you at work, you had a really negative interaction with someone and immediately you wanted to call your friends and tell them all about how awful this person was to you and that this is very common adult behavior. Yes. But when our children do that, we tell them to go work it out, but we don't even know how to do that. Right. <laughs> our children say, you know, Lana pushed me and we say, you need to, you know, you need to work it out with Lana or tell Lana to stop oh. pushing you. And oh, yeah. we don't know how to tell Lana to stop pushing us. We don't know how to, we tell our friends too. We oh my exact God. Same exact same thing. It's called office gossip that drives yes. everybody nuts. You know, this was just like, I am mind boggling for me. Cause I thought, gosh, you know, like. I, I perceive directness more often than I realize as rudeness. Like some of the quotes that you were giving in your book about ways to teach children to be direct on play dates, like yeah. having them tell their friend, you know, I don't, not to push them. But or I, mean, I don't want that. I don't like it when you push me. I don't like it when you push me. Just simple. not. Could you please consider not pushing me? Maybe if you want to, that's okay. But I'd really rather you not. Like, yeah. I don't like it when you push me. And just these things that we don't, we didn't grow up hearing them. We don't, adults now don't say them. So we're teaching our children something that's really kind of completely new. Um, and it's weird and awkward, but it's been such practice for me to really empower my child to say those kinds of things. And then thus consider that in my own life. Where can I just tell someone that I don't like the way they're treating me instead yeah. of going home and telling my husband how awful they are. Yeah, and the thing is, you always want to end that sentence with what you want them to do. So I don't like the way you treat me. If you want, uh, if, if, if something's bothering you that I did, just come talk to me. So yeah. uh, it always, so if you leave it, I don't like it when you push me. You're, 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 what you focus on, you get more of. So you're going to get more of pushing. Right. But you teach your child, I don't like it when you push me if they're little. And then you add the rest. She wants you to walk around her. So you the Got people, it. you have to put that at the end. Now, as your children grow, so it starts with the little stop hand at one and a half. It gets to no like. <laughs> and no then, like. And Love then, it. And then you add, as the adult, she wants you to touch her like this. And you take the hand and rub her gently. She wants you to give it back, and then you put the child's hand out. So we do, she wants you to, until the child can say, I don't like it when you push me. Walk around me, please. See, so, but that takes, that. I just took you through six years of life. From yes. the stop okay. hand all the way up. But we've the ones who've got to end it with, uh, uh, or I'll, even for the little ones, for your one and a half, I'll say to the four-year-old, I'll say, see her face. Her face is saying, I don't like it when you step on my feet. She wants you to walk around her. And I did what in the? I mean, in the reverse, I mean, my little one and a half year old's getting really into pulling hair now. Yes. So in the reverse, it's always a little more awkward for me to tell my one and a half year old that she can't do that. Is but, it more of a physical removal of the child who's causing harm? Or no. In that case? Okay. No. Here's what you do. So she grabs and, and she doesn't quite get all this stuff. She no. doesn't. Okay. So we're talking to a, a one and a half year old. Um, so when she gets hold of her sister's hair and her sister's going to scream, right? Yeah. Right. 
and then you go up to the one and a half year old and you look right in her face and you go, ouch, like a dog. You know how dogs fight? Uh, <laughs> yes. They yelp. Yeah. Like, yeah, ouch. they yelp. Ouch. Okay, so yeah. they'll start playing. One dog will go, ah, and then they'll stop because that's, that's, uh, and we're similar when we're little. I, mean, I don't mean to make this exactly, but that lower part of our brain is very similar to all other animals. So yes. if, if you go up to your, and I want you to try this and then you can report back somewhere. When you when she gets hold of that hair, you're going to teach your four-year-old or you're going to do it be better. And you're going to yelp, ouch! And you're going to make ouch. it high, high and squealy like a, a dog yelp. But you're going to go, ouch! And then you're going to grab her hand at her wrist so that she will re- loosen her finger grab. Mm-hmm. And you go, ouch! That hurts hurts and then take her hand and go she wants you to touch her like this remember you don't finish a sentence ever unless you tell them what to do right give them a give them an action that they can actually do do. and so you might take her hand and uh have a rubber rubber arm which eventually would be a pinch at some point but you just keep doing it until they get it but you want to say uh i would go ouch and then you point your four-year-old see her face hurts hurts and then remove her hand now she wants you to touch her like this and then if you do this i'm getting a little complicated but you lose and now now see your face <gasps> she likes it she likes it so you're trying to get your one and a half year old to read faces and you're trying to get your four-year-old to read faces so that when you're not in the room uh there's a little something going on that your four-year-old could still have some hair left time you get in that room. (laughs) (laughs) I keep listening to all this and I keep thinking about how you learned it and why you learned it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? You know, two big things happened, uh, uh, all very young, but I was in a a class in college and we Mm -hmm. took these uh, mentally challenged, most, mostly older students with down syndrome to a lake to go swimming it was i don't know how all this came about at this point but i'm in this lake and it was time to leave and um the teachers in there were like doing threatening these kids with everything in their power to get out Mm. if you don't come out i'm throwing your lunch away and they would hold it over the garbage can and 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 they were doing all this threatening that they didn't follow up with to some degree, but they did. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, there has got to be a better way. And and so here I am, probably a kid with these uh, teachers or counselors. And I said, you can't do that. <laughs> and they yeah. said, they went, who are you and what? And, uh, and they said, I said, I think I can get them out. Just leave me alone. So I went in wow. there, I went into the lake with my clothes on and I was a complete failure. And, uh, but as I was walking out of that lake, I said, I know there's another way to do this. We don't have to threaten people. We don't have to, to, to hurt each other to behave and, or starve or threaten lunch. And I said, and I'm going to spend my life and I'm going to figure this out because. Oh, that's because, so beautiful. Because these kids in this lake deserve the best of who I can be. And so 
And wow. That was kind of like, how do you think you knew that? I mean, like, do you, were your parents, did your parents raise you in the way that you were? Oh, no. Oh, okay. gosh, no. <laughs> so no, that's not it. No, but, um, I, but I also had one other thing before that. I had had a car wreck in which I died. And, uh, and then I came back. Uh, or, you were declared dead. I was declared dead. And then I was in a coma for like three days. And then, oh my God. Uh, and, and in that experience, again, I'm like 17 years old. I'm a kid. And uh, uh, I had this sense during that experience of, of how profoundly we are interconnected with each other and how, wow. how, what I offer to you is I'm actually doing to myself and what you're doing to you, you're at, you know, we're, we're, we're like, I got this sense that we're all cells in this one giant body and we can't have the kidney fussing at the lungs. You know, we've got to somehow figure out how to get along a little bit better and how to handle our conflicts a little more graciously so that we can repair afterwards. You know, it's not like we're going to, uh, we use the conflict to learn a new skill if possible and that way we can repair the, 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 the hurt that happened during that moment. And we grow from our conflicts, you know, like a seed coming out. You know, the, like when the seed breaks through the earth, that's a little conflict. That we keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as opposed to shrinking and shrinking and shrinking into not enoughness. So it, those two blended together and voila. And here, and here I, you are. You know. Wow. 40, incredible. Years, 40 years later and I'm still doing stuff I wish I did Thank God. but I tell you what I get back on track quicker I can blow yeah. up and be a, a complete idiot in and <laughs> and and now I'm, I'm truly in in two minutes later I can pull myself together redo it and uh repair whatever I've damaged uh you had your own children is that correct yes and and uh, and I have two beautiful grandchildren and one of them oh. is one of them is just like the one you said. I've got one that's just like you know, they'll go lay in bed and go to sleep, and the other one is yep. like they haven't slept since they were born. They came out, looked at you, and just screamed. And yep, exactly. Yep. Oh my God, it's so true. It, were you able to implement these ideas with your own children, or did oh, you kind yes. of come? Oh no, that's no, really. Oh no, not with my own. Uh, not with your own, but with your grandchildren. Yes, I mean with mine okay. to some degree, but. Uh, much, yeah, it, they were formulating. They were the guinea pigs. They were the guinea pigs. Well, that yeah. makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I the feel grand- often like my first is my guinea pig. I mean, every first child, I think. Is a guinea pig. But just, you know, is a guinea pig. But you you learn and, and you're, you try you try new things and you do more of what works. And, um, and you know, so, we're all human. Yes. And uh, I, I, I have some principles that I... And I call those uh, the the powers. I call them, and that helps me stay on track. So I know if as long as I can stay on track, because I mean, face it, when we're calm, almost all of us are very nice, wonderful people. It's That's when very true. It, it's when we get upset. It's the problem. So, and we're going to talk about your seven powers because I love them. Okay. I'm going to touch on two of them at the end of this interview that really struck me. But Great. if you want to hear about all the seven powers buy this book, Easy to Love, yeah. Difficult to Discipline, because she'll go into all of them and they are amazing. Um, I want to talk about the miss. This is something that really resonated with me, um, my own childhood and something I will say, you know, every once in a while, you know, I, I go through all these different emotions whenever I'm reading a book about parenting. Sometimes I feel like, damn, I'm really doing this really well. And other times I'm like, oh, I really need to work on this. Um, this was one of the times where I thought, you know, 
yeah, I don't, I don't ever say these kinds of things to my children because they were said to me all the time and the, the effect was so catastrophic. You talk about mis- the misplaced sense of responsibility that we give children when we oh. inadvertently make them responsible for how we feel. So things like, don't make me stop this car. You're making me angry. And other statements of the like can convey to a child that their actions are responsible for our moods and that their moods can also be ruled by outside circumstances. I was just like blown away by this. It was so validating because I don't think I've ever really read about it in a book. Yeah. Just the, the impression that immediately I was always responsible for the way my parents and other adults felt, whether or not I hugged them, whether or not I said thank you, whether or not I gave them what they wanted. And I know that when I was a small child, I was just like my oldest daughter. She could care less about whether or not she makes you happy by hugging you. She's thinking about the fact that she doesn't want to hug you. But we change them in such an in such a negative way, honestly, by making them responsible for us as adults because we're supposed to be responsible for ourselves. And I guess some of this can sound rather, rather benign, you know, don't make me stop this car. But you explain why this could cause much more significant challenges for our children. What what it t- tell us more about that? Oh wow, I mean this this is number one of yeah of, of all things because this is the core or the lack of mental health right here. Um, yes. So if, if, if you can imagine, and of course those listening, if you can imagine I've got three children in front of me and they've all done something. I don't know what could be, but it's not helpful. And I look at the first one. I said, now look how you made her feel. Oh. And, then I, and then I say to the next one, look how you made him feel. What I have done is I've put each per- child in charge of the other child's inner self and the other so if we're in charge of everybody else's inner world we're rampantly irresponsible for ourselves and that's what you see when you look out in the world and you see everybody uh doing what we would call irresponsible things uh, so to to be to get into a, a, a society that can solve problems, that can negotiate, that can work together, uh, you must take ownership of your own upset. So no one made me mad. Now, they triggered they triggered the anger that was in there. <laughs> There's no question you have stepped on a landmine in me. But the landmine is in me. It's my it, landmine. It's my landmine. And so, and we know this to be true. So let's take a teaching example. Uh, uh, we have a child in, in, in a teacher's classroom and the child misbehaves all the time, okay? Because the child knows how to push the buttons. The child's misbehavior triggers that teacher. You move that child down, two teachers down the hall, and the child is, is an angel because she's, her behavior doesn't trigger that teacher, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's some things that trigger me to no end and still do, like whining. I, I mean, oh, it's like if I you know. start whining, oh, I, I just want to get a shotgun. I mean, it's like. I can't I, do it. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I know I wasn't allowed to whine. It was like completely not tolerated at all. So that has something to do with it. But I think also just that noise, it's yes. supposed to like evoke us. as It's supposed to get our attention. Biologically, yes, it it is, and it and and but it's not supposed to get my aggression. 
and, oh, and no, it it's not. I know it is not. <laughs> you know, so I I have the exact same trigger. It's whining. It's complaining of any kind. Yeah. I no, notice how I've arranged my life. I mean, as an adult, I know that was completely not tolerated as a child, and I yeah. probably don't tolerate it very much in myself. Right. And so these things are passed down. So what we want to do, and this is the number one thing I think if anybody ever got this and heard this, because this is as this is in the air we breathe in the United States. I mean, uh-huh. I think, who was it? Taylor Swift. Look what you made me do. You know that song? Oh, yes. Okay, look what you made me do. Wait, that was that her? I, I can't even think right now. I don't know who it look was. Look what you made me do. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Anyway. But, but that was number one for like. Yeah. And that's, Yeah, it was her. Yes. No, I know. I know. It's and, all about. And everybody's like, like, yes, look what yes, you made me do. That. So, right, <laughs> but it, but it takes away our responsibility. And the sad thing about responsibility, whoever you give it to, they also have the power to change it. So if I say, "Look how you made me feel, Laura," then yes. then then not only are you responsible for my happiness, but you also are the one who has the power to change it. So do you see how I can be deeply depressed because you're not changing your behavior to? to make me feel better and the world's not going my way. So this is what a two-year-old does says the world should go my way. And I don't know why it's not going my way. And our job is to teach them over and over again. You're right, honey. It's not going your way. Let me help you handle the frustration with that. Let me help you handle the disappointment, not let me go buy you an ice cream cone. Uh, so as we grow up, we have to own our own upset. And that's if anybody is listening and if you can do this and watch your make me language. Now, whether you mm-hmm. say it out loud or say it in your head, you know, these people are, they're, they're driving me nuts. Well, you've given all your power to the people in the cars. You know, I remember I used to get so aggravated on an elevator, you know, and yeah. finally, and, and I get on there and I'd want to go to the 13th floor and, you know, we'd stop, stop every five step. seconds. Yeah, right. Totally. And, and here I am, by the time I get to 13, I'm this, you know, like a, a, a raging tiger. And then I realized one day, you know, I said to myself, you know, Becky, this is what elevators do. You, they're stop. supposed to stop on every floor. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah. no, they're supposed to work on my agenda, on my timeline when I want it. And and again, that talks about what you say about the maturity uh, of us, that we have to, in many ways, we're very much like a two-year, two-year-old. Our social and emotional development stopped at a very early age. And mm-hmm. it was stopped because it was like everybody told us, you stop that. That's not how you feel. You get over it. You know, or here, let mommy fix it. No need to be sad. Let's get something that'll happy you up. And so when we take their feelings away from them or deny their feelings, we are literally taking their responsibility to be themselves, their ownership of their upset, and then getting mad at them that they're not doing it right. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, but this is the number one thing right here. No one can make you angry without your permission. In other words, they're triggering you. And, and what's the beautiful thing that you just said, Laura, you know your triggers. And so that's the first thing every parent needs to know. This triggers me. She's not making yeah. me crazy. She's not driving me nuts. She's not a he. He's not doing this. My husband's not doing this. My significant other, whatever. These things trigger me. 
and how am I, Becky Bailey, going to learn to manage my triggers? And how I learn to manage my triggers will be the same skills I need to discipline my children. And once we can manage our triggers, we've got parenting down pat. Oh, I love it. I lo- Speaking of language, because you were talking about don't make me language, um, you described a scenario that I really identified with um, my child not being able to, not wanting to go into the car and the whole, you know, monstrous journey to get from my <laughs> living room to the vehicle. And you described, I learned so much from this and it was such a game changer for me. It really does work. You described the parent who says, are you ready to go to grandma's house only to be met with a no, which she then replies to with anger that she later feels guilty about. You instead recommend something more direct. It's time to go to grandma's house. Let's Uh get in the car. Um, But we've all been there trying to get our kids in the car and failing miserably. So walk through this situation with us. How can we be more direct and assertive in this case and cases like it? Okay. So what you're going to do with this make me language, that's like the air we breathe and everyone Uh feels responsible for everybody else's upset and not our own. So what we're going to do is a couple sentences that will help us. I'm going to is one has changed to. Uh, And said, don't make me have to pull this car over. You're going to say, I'm going to pull the car over until your seat belts are fastened or you're in your car seat. So everyone's safe. My job's to keep you safe. Uh, So I'm going to, or it's time to. Uh, It's time to. It's time to. And that's not rude. And and let me just tell you the three ingredients of being assertive. Mm. Okay. First... Uh, assertiveness is uh, you have to give them usable information. Usable information to children is what to do. So if I said to you, you know, don't think about a purple alligator, you know, you're going to do that. So think about a purple alligator right, right. away. So yes. you have to tell children, don't hit. They get an image of hitting in they their think brain. About hitting, right? Okay. So you've got to give them usable information. Walk around your friends. Step over the baby. Yeah. Okay. So usable information. Uh, You need to, uh, which always focuses on what you want. And then the voice of no doubt. Now, I think this is where people think to be assertive, I have to have a special voice. Uh, No, you don't have to have a special voice. If I said to you uh, right now, I'm sitting in a chair. You know know that to a certainty. There's no shaking. There's no shaking. You know. Hop in the back of the car. Same, you know, I don't have to go hop in the back of the car. Hop in the back right. of the car. I'm, I'm, it's a voice of no doubt. And, and yeah. they respond to that voice of no doubt. And it's what I do with a lot of passive or passive aggressive parents is I say, look down and go, my shoes are blue. My shorts are black. Walk and get in the car. <laughs> walk and get in the car that's you the know, same voice it's the same well, voice so many of us I think are intimidated by like past reactions I know this has happened to me like I've been in this situation so many times with my kids that I'm now intimidated so I'm like either can you get in the car or get in the car right now and there, I've lost my middle ground I've let my kid my kid is like sort of running the show in a sense because I'm reacting to the way that she feels. Yeah. You're defending against an upcoming moment that hasn't exactly. happened yet. I already yet. know it's going to be a mess. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. Exactly. And then you also talk about like, if you can't, you, the way that you use your language is so important. So, you know, it's time to go. If you are unable to walk to the car, I will have to do it for, I, I'm not exactly sure how yeah. you but, reference yeah. this, but just a it's kind it. way of explaining that I'm going to have to move your body myself. <laughs> So I can, I can give yeah. you kind of three steps. These are, you yes. know, so let's go. Yeah. 
uh, and you can look at how we kind of trip ourselves from the very get-go. So first uh-huh. of all, you're, you're, you can't defend against a moment that hasn't happened without changing your intent. And okay. as you, and, and you know, our intent manages everything. So if you walk into, uh, just to go talk to your, a friend or your significant other, you walk in with the intent to tell them what, you know, they feel it before you get there, you know? Yeah. So yes. our intent is so important. So first of all, you're going to walk in with the intent. My job is to keep the child safe and be successful. My job, no matter what they give me, that's my job. So I'm not going in, oh, they're going to balk. They're going to, they're going to run away. They're going to, you know, no, uh, my job is to keep them safe and successful. Then you're going to go, it's time to get in the car. All right. Then they're going to balk. <laughs> yes. Then you have your two positive choices. Oh, and I, look how I changed my voice. This is so important for young kids. It's time to get in my, in the car. Do you hear my voice? Yes. Now watch how I change. And they go, they, cro- they, They'll usually do it first. They'll close their arms or they'll get this little look on their eye, right? Uh-huh. So I watch for the nonverbal. Are they balking or are they going in that direction? So they're starting to balk. As soon as I see the nonverbal, I'm going to go, oh, oh, you have a choice. Did you hear I changed it? You're excited. I'm excited, right? Mm-hmm. You have yes. a choice. And they're like, what in the world could my choice be? You know, I'm, you know I'm already made it so much better. I'm using my ability to regulate me to regulate them because children can't regulate themselves at all until about mm, 24 years. Right. (laughs) It takes a long time. Then I'm going to go, Oh, you have a choice. You can, uh, you can uh, open the door uh, and, and hop in your car seat or I'll open the door and you kind of hop in. Which one? You can choose. Yes. You can okay. choose. And then, the, and then they'll go, uh, and then you go, uh, they'll even do one of two things. They'll get in, they'll pick one, or they'll go, uh, me right in the front, <laughs> or they'll give you a third complete option. There's a third option. Yes. Yeah, I'm the, very familiar the, with the third option. The third option. And then what happens is we have to stay very calm. Okay, so it's you get the door, I open the door. Which one? Me drive <laughs> or something crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then you stay calm. You get the door or I'll get the door. But what happens as they start getting more resistant, we go, you get the door or I'll get the door. You know, we... We accelerate, we start getting angry. and when we accelerate, we are offering a threat. And most young kids, if they're wise, will run at this point, uh, or yes. they or they'll hit you. <laughs> yes, either one. But you can see that's a fight or flight. We threw them into the lower centers, and what does the lower centers of our brain do? They fight or flight, or they freeze, yeah. which means fall, freeze. which means fall in a pile right in front of the car and start crying. Yes. Uh, so. But you can see we pushed them there as opposed to pull them up. And then we get mad at them for their brain having a fight, fight, or freeze response to us. So in the event, in the event that they really will not get in the vehicle, and we've done all these so, things right And here. then the next thing would be after they go, then, then I'm going to go into empathy. So now okay. I'm still not going down the track with you. I'm going up 
my up the scale, like do re mi, you know. So now I'm going to say, oh, it's so hard. And But I have to mean this from my heart. Then I'm going to go, your hands are going like this. Your feet are like this because they have to look at me. When they look at me and I take a deep belly breath and smile, I can download calm into them. So mm-hmm. you, so I'm going to go, uh, you have a choice and you go, I'm going to run. And then I go, uh, no, I, you say, I hate you. So you, I hate you. I'm not. And then you go, oh, your face is going like this. Your arms are crossed like this. And they look at me. And soon, and imagine you looking at my face right now, Laura. And I go, yeah. I'm just going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to smile at you like you're the most precious thing on this planet. I love it. And then <laughs> I'm going to, I'm pulling them up from the fight, flight, or freeze. Do you understand what I'm doing? I'm, yes. I'm getting their body to relax just a teeny bit. And then I'll just go, oh, you need help. You need, you help. need help. You need help. I'm going to open the door and we'll hop in. Yes. And they will either stand there and relax so that you can pick them up without hitting you mm-hmm. or, you know, screaming and throwing a big fit. So what they'll usually do is if you can calm their body down and scoop them up, they'll usually put their head on your shoulder and you have to, but now you still have to put this lump noodle into a car seat and strap them in, but yep. they're not, a, they're not a fighting noodle. They're a lump noodle. <laughs> yes. At least it's like, at least it's a limp noodle. And nobody talks about the physicality involved in parenthood. It's like, if yeah. you didn't have biceps when you started, I mean, I lift yeah. yes. <laughs> my back is like broken at this point. There yeah. isn't a massage therapist and in the world anyway, another point, but no, I think that's wonderful. And I think also what I'm hearing is it takes time. There could be a lot of reactions. And so preparing for that, I think a lot of our scuffles occur when I'm running late or when, you know, yeah. and like sometimes that can't be avoided and we just have to let them have that reaction. I yep, imagine. Fine. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah. Urgency, urgency to the brain is a fight, flight or free right. response. And that's what our child, that's so, what our child is doing. Right. Or we're urgent. Like you said, I've got to get to the store. I, we got to be at the, this place and we're going to be late. I'm urgent. I've got to get this done. We've got to get out of here. So I'm going to, so I'm already frantic. And now I'm going to frantic. They catch our emotion of frantic. And then we get mad at them for being frantic. And then we put them in the car. And then we feel guilty because we were mad or frantic. And then we go buy them something. Oh, my God. That's so true. That's like literally, that's like, that's it. That you just described it perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I completely relate. And I'm, I'm looking forward to trying what you just outlined. And it's nice just to hear it. You know, we yeah. know we get all these tools, but just to hear it laid out. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, I said we would talk on the, about the seven consequences, about a few of them. Um, sorry, the seven powers. And one of them is consequence, which is another word that I think gets tangled in the minds of parents who had very severe consequences inflicted upon them as children. So what is the power of consequences as you describe it? Well, uh, and, and the power of consequences is called the power of intention. So power really, intention. the power of intention, if my intent is to hurt you, the consequence is going to be punitive. If my intent is to help you be successful, the consequence is going to be different. And mm. oft, often we, we, 
uh, and if I'm going to save you from from upset, then the consequence of what we're going through is going to be completely different. But what happens is we confuse, again, consequences, which happen all the time and can be good or bad, with punishment. A consequence is not a punishment. To, to have a consequence, you have to be aware of it. For example, uh, how did I get so fat over during quarantine? <laughs> well, the consequence is not exercising and eating a lot all day. It is a direct consequence of not exercising and eating right. too much. So it's it, like we have to provide that for our children because in some cases that won't be provided for them. Yes. So it's the consciousness of our consequence. Just like when I was telling you about uh, your, your, your little one grabbing the hair of the right. older one. The, grabbing, the consequence of that is that it hurts your sister. And there's a good chance your sister doesn't want to play with you anymore right now. Yes. Uh, so the consequence of that is she doesn't want to play with you. Uh, so helping uh, children become aware of their consequences is more important than, uh, let me give you an example. I'm, I'm going to give you a different example. So I'm going to give an older kid example. And a kid comes home and it's got A's, A's, A's on the report card and a D. So, and you know, you have to get those signed. So the kid slips it up in there and the parent goes, what? You got a D? You got a D? No one in our family gets a D. So there's no more soccer for you or something. I just shortened that down. You can't play soccer uh-huh. till you get this D up. That's kind of exhibit A. Now right. that's, that's a punishment. Now I'm going to show you how to do a consequence. The okay. child, child comes in, you look at the report card and you go, oh man, you got some A's, got a B. Oh, and you got a D. How do you feel about that D? See, because mm-hmm. the consequence isn't what happens to you. It's how you feel about it. Yes. Right? So, I mean, I've seen kids ride down a hill on a bicycle, and every parent's going, you're going to fall, you're going to kill yourself. And they fall off, and they land in the grass, and they're like, get up and go, let's do it better. You know? That's how they learn. They want right. to do it better. But yeah. then they go down, and they fall. Instead, in the grass, they fall on the street. Now, that's a different consequence. You right. know, Now it hurts. So we ask children, how do you feel about the D? And they'll go, you know, the teacher didn't like me. Okay, I, I get that. But how do you feel about the D? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, I lost the book. Okay, I understand that. How do you feel about this D? Do you like it or not like it? Is it you feel good about yourself or not so good? Well, I guess I don't like it. Oh, so you want some help. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So now let's work together. Do you want to figure out the help you need or would you like me to help you? Do you see how I ended this whole thing differently? So we need a plan to get the D up to some place. But no one asked the child, how do you feel about the D? Right. Or, or we think it's uh, the consequence of this is you go in your room where you've got 14 video games and a TV and Which more is stuff. A consequence, exactly. That's not a consequence. How do you feel about your room? Well, I'm going to I'm going to live here till I'm 35, so I think, you know. Right. I'm I'm liking it in here. So, we have to ask them, how did you feel about this? And so, if I can reflect on how I feel, 
like right now in my own weight. Instead of me going, I can't believe I ate all this. I can't believe I gained all this weight. I have to go back. How do you feel? Do you feel comfortable in your body? No. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and then yeah. every every time I slip into, oh my God, I've, look how fat, I can't believe, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. Okay. Back up, Becky. How do you feel in your body? It's not good. What are you going to do about it? All right. I'm going to, I'm going to make it through this day eating a certain way. So does this mean that when our child comes home and they have grades that aren't considered good, um, we don't, we ask them how they feel about it. And we assume that that feeling is going to redirect their behavior. We don't say, okay, you can't go out with your friends anymore because you're not studying. We cut all that out. No, I would say this. How do you feel about it? And let's say they Uh say, I don't, I don't care. You know, I don't care. Okay. Okay? So I don't care. And then I'm going to say, well, do you care about going out with your friends? Ah, okay. Yes, Yes, I care. So, so what you're telling me is you need help to get your grade up so you can go out with your friends. See, so I don't use the threat of not going out. I use it as like a carrot. So, so, so you need help to get this grade up so that you can go out with your friends and they'll go, well, well, yeah. Okay. Well, let's make a plan. Now here's what we're going to do. So I'm going to structure it up. So homework is between four and five and five, four and five and six. Okay. Here's, yeah. and you're going to put whatever it is because you never get it home anyway. So here's a place where you always write it. You know, man, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to help you be successful with this. I'm going to structure it. So you're successful. Now, you may sit there and not, and not do any work between five and six, but then again, now you can't go with your friends because. Right. But, but so that means I didn't help you enough because it might be that you can sit there between five and six and, and you don't understand math and you didn't do it at school and you can't do it at home. And this new math, if you've ever tried it, I don't know how to help them either. So. Right. Uh, I haven't, I wouldn't be able to myself. I haven't gotten there yet, but I would need help. (laughs) But we're constantly trying to help them be successful. What structure do you need? What of my executive skills that you won't develop till you're 24 years old do you need? Do you need my time management? Do you need my organization? Do you need my help with task initiation? Do you need my help with finishing? Do you need my help to say you need to take a break because... You need to stand up and go do jumping jacks or do something, run around the house like a banshee while I set and and turn the timer. So when the timer goes off, you're coming back and sitting down again. Uh, Do you need to do it on the floor? Are you better working, you know, on a table, on the floor, on your belly? You know, and essentially by getting this work done and this, I mean, they're going to have to get it done. That's going to take away from time that I guess they've spent with their friends anyway. So that's the, that's the consequence. Like, that's just the consequence is you get to go with your friends. It's always a good consequence. Right. Okay. Okay. You know? So the consequence is a go. good consequence. Yeah. So if they're no. able to do this, they get to do this exciting thing. Yes. And and it and our That's job directly is, related. Not like an ice cream cone, but something no. that actually because, because they didn't care about what happened. So like, all right, so you pushed your uh, well, I would teach them a skill if they push someone, but um let's see. Um, if you've even got older and they're, they're 16 or 17, you know, and they're supposed to be in at a certain time and they didn't come home. And then the first thing, instead of screaming at them, how worried you were, how do you feel about showing up a half hour later? I can tell you how I feel. I was scared. 
something happened right. to you and, I, and I feel angry. But how do you feel about this? So I think we don't give, our feelings are like our barometers and we try to deny we have them. No one likes feelings, but they're the barometer of life. Uh, oh, that's ch- true. Children at age three months know the difference between helpful and hurtful. Did you know that? No. At three months. Three months. We've done the research. Three months. So you don't have to beat right and wrong into children. You have to water what's already in there. They know. You have to water they, what's in you, there. You have to water it. but Or you can take that watering away. You don't know what's right or wrong. You don't know what you feel. I'll tell you what you feel. You should feel horrible for what you just did. So you don't need to know what you feel. I'm going to tell you what you feel. Now look what you've done, you know. And, and we're sort of teaching them not to trust themselves by doing that. Hold on. I lost my mic. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we tend to want to tell children how they should feel as opposed to, to help them understand how they do feel. And those feelings then become... If it, if it feels bad, it's probably hurtful, not good for me. If it feels good, it's good for me. Um, and then, uh, so we don't water that enough. Yes, we and don't. We don't. We, we don't. We, we say, I don't, you know, I don't know how to feel my feelings because I, I wasn't taught. I don't have a clue what I'm feeling right now at all. I can tell you the story I have, which is that you're an irritant but I don't know what that is or where it is and how to acknowledge it and how to be kind with myself and go, okay, Becky, you're tight in the chest. You're just feeling a little angry. You can handle this. Take some breaths. Take some breaths. Come on, Becky. There you go. But there that, you go. There you go. I, I, okay, now what's, what's your next step? There you go. Come on. But see how I'm talking to myself? We don't yes. do that. How we treat ourselves inside our head is how you will discipline your child. You just have to be stressed enough. Amen. Amen. That was the power of consequences. So yes. let's talk about the power. <laughs> let's talk about the power of free will. This was the other one that I absolutely loved. Um, how the call of parenthood is really the call of adulthood and true maturity for many of us. What is the power of free will and why is it so important as it pertains to parenting? And that was the one we kind of went through uh, before. So the, the power of free will says the only person you can make now, or get to change is yourself. That's the only one you can successfully change without doing harm. Uh, and I just think that's so important no matter right. where we are in our lives or whether we have children or not. It's just such a good, it's such a great and valuable tool to have. And it makes you in charge of what you can control. Yes. Um, no longer at the whim of what you cannot, which I think is just wonderful. And I've always been amazed too. I have, you know, like uh, 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 when my mother was alive, um, uh, sometimes I'd be so aggravated with her and I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to, I'm going to not react the same way I react to her. When she says these things, I'm going to just kind of, you know, do what I teach. So I was going to try it with my mother, which was difficult for me. And it's amazing when we let down our defenses and that 
how quickly others will join us. I mean, I had some of the best conversations with my mother because I didn't go in like you were saying. I kind of, I didn't go into that situation. Well, I've got to defend up before I get there because here's what my two-year-old's going to dart into a street, you know, Uh, instead of just placing my body between the two-year-old and letting it be what it is in the street. Uh, So I went in defenseless, you know, not defending, not guarding against, not expecting, predicting these horrible things. So I went in just open. And and she changed. I, I was like, and in that conversation, it was really powerful to see that we can't make other people change, but we can change ourselves, and they indeed often will respond differently. I love it. I love it. A lot of parenting coaches and authors talk about the importance of connecting with our children, but you actually have an entire <laughs> book dedicated to how we can actually do that. We didn't cover your book, I Love You Rituals, in this interview, but I am in love with I Love You Rituals, and I want everyone to know what they are and why they're so important. So will you, as our last question, um, I could ask you questions all day, explain what an I Love You Ritual is and give an example for us. Uh, an I Love You Ritual is a, a way of, uh, of bonding and repairing bonds with our children that involve four things. And again, this all comes from neuroscience. And the four things are eye contact, touch, my presence. I have to be present. I can't be thinking about what I'm going to cook or where I'm going to be next. Uh, uh, So eye contact, touch, presence in a playful situation. And we know for now, according to science, that combination of things literally wires your brain for self-control and willingness, literally. So, and everybody does these in every culture. Um, they do them when they're little. You know, it's peekaboo. That's all it is. It's how do we play yeah. peekaboo until we're- Make our children to, feel seen. Yes. So it's, yes. it's some for, version of peekaboo. Uh, and But I wanted it to continue because we play peekaboo and then we're done. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, uh, so- I just made it for how could we continue this up through life? So they're rituals because, you know, we do them with this goal of connection. So I'll give you guys an example of one. Um, So, uh, and I'll do this one kind of with you, Laura. So if you can imagine your hands up in the air in front of you and you're wiggling your fingers and they're touching my little wiggle, my fingers wiggling, I would go, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, what a wonderful host you are. (laughs) And then I would touch your eyes with bright eyes, and then I would kind of put my hands on your cheek with bright eyes and nice round cheeks, a talented host, a wonderful parent from head, and I'll touch your head, and I'll go whoo down to feet. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, what a wonderful host you are. Now, that would be what a wonderful child you are. Um, So a lot of them are old nursery rhymes uh, that I made positive. And then some are different ones. Would you like one more? Yes, I would love one more. Okay, so this one is for everyone listening. And I hope that they would do this with somebody uh, at home that they've quarantined with. And this, right. is, and this is called a story hand. So in this case, I would take your hand, Laura, 
or, or you would take your 18-month-old or your four-year-old's hand, and you're going to make a story on their hand, starting with their little, teeny, their, their little finger first, ending with the thumb, and the thumb's always going to represent a little insecurity. So I'm going to do this for you. So this little finger was curious about parenting. This little finger wanted to help others. And I moved to the next finger. This little finger wanted to help others uh, learn what she was learning. This tall finger wanted to figure out ways that we can do things differently than was done to us. And this last finger think, oh, I'm here to be of service to others and I know my calling and this is what I'm going to do. But the thumb and so now I'm touching your thumb, and I'm going to tuck it inside your hand with your fingers standing tall. And the thumb was a little concerned. Am I doing enough? Am I reaching enough people? Can I learn enough to really make a difference with my own children and with myself? And then all the other fingers, you curl around on top of that like you're making a fist. And I rub your little fist and say, oh, yeah, no need to worry. All these other fingers will take care of that for sure. Oh, that's amazing. So now I mean, I'm soothed by that. So, <laughs> so with, with a little kid, it would be this little finger likes to uh, build with blocks. This little yeah. finger likes to eat pudding. This little finger likes to uh, uh, whatever, you know. And then, and then the thumb is like, but sometimes this finger wonders, where's mommy? Where's mommy sometimes? And then you fold all those fingers over and say, don't you worry, baby. I am always know where you are and looking for you. And my heart is in your hand and your heart is in my hand. So it's just a, and you can do it at bedtime. You know, if they, they, you know, you can say, what's the best part of your day? What's the worst part of your day? And then you could use the thumb as a little worse part and, and reassure it with the other fingers. So it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. it's beautiful. Dr. Becky Bailey, I am so grateful to have had you as a guest on the show today. You are just an absolute gift. And I'm going to be listening to this episode myself many times and um, getting wisdom from it. And if you are interested in Dr. Becky Bailey's book, Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, I grabbed mine on Amazon. I'm sure there's lots of other places you can grab it. And as well as I Love You Rituals. And you can find her online, www.consciousdiscipline.com or on and, Instagram. And go I ahead. Want, I want to add something. If you go to consci yeah. consciousdiscipline.com, we have what's called Schubert's Home. And it shows you all the areas in your house and some things you can do in your house. It's all free. And on there's over like... Uh, or maybe uh, 200 videos of different things I was telling you about. And you can go to your kitchen and what you can do there. You can go all different places. And it's called Schubert's Home, and it's at ConsciousDiscipline.com. It's all free. Wonderful, wonderful. And also on Instagram, at ConsciousDiscipline. I love following them. I learned so much. I share their videos all the time. So if you follow me, you've probably seen many of those videos. That's where I learned about the two positive choices. Um, again, Dr. Becky Bailey, thank you for coming on the show. And you have been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already. And I look forward to joining you again next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram 
at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mama, 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 mama,